earliest interaction with plant medicine that I can recall is with A. Fogel's Santisipina cough syrup. Put something sweet in front of me and I'd down it. It was the one highlight to being sick aside from staying home. Turns out the syrup stems from wild Norwegian spruce extract and its essential oil. My family's always been one to forgo traditional medicine where possible and seek a more wholesome, holistic approach. In the past two years, herbs have really been a force within my own practice in healing my gut. And they're powerful little buggers. I received Dr. JJ's book towards the end of last year, The Woman's Herbal Apothecary. And you know, like so many of us out there that have come to find our own sense of well-being and wellness practice, by way of good or bad, it probably took a whole lot of research, uncertainty, fear, and self-compassion. Staring the pharmaceutical industry in the face, their credentials, authenticated studies, and their overall monopoly on our health takes courage, especially when you're coming from a place of ill health. Though there may be so much that we don't know, we do know our symptoms. And I love Dr. JJ for having touched on this, especially in correlation to the times. We're looking to our symptoms not simply as an isolated ailment, but as a part of the whole human system and what's really going on there. Dr. JJ is a naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, herbalist, business owner, farmer, wife, mother, and a total badass. This is Nature is an Alternative with Dr. JJ Purcell. A quick heads up, we're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from Portland, USA, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. time in my life really is um, mother and, and partner and um, helper. So I am a doctor, I'm a physician, and I am an acupuncturist, and of course herbs are my passion, so that's my primary mode of treatment and medicine that I work with. But I really like to refer to myself as just an assistant. Um, and so currently right now, that's, that is my my area. I'm very invested in my family right now. I have a two-year-old and an eight-year-old, and we have a farm here in Oregon, and um, so there's a lot of activity going on around me, but my contribution to the community is very important in lots of ways. I'm always um, reaching out in different ways, whether it's actually seeing uh, patients or I just answer emails all the time for people who reach out about their health or healing and that was really one of the reasons I know we'll get into this in a little bit but one of the reasons I started my own business back in 2005 was because I as a practitioner I could reach and help more people being in a more community type setting than just in my office as a doctor um, there's where we need to have an appointment and just shut the door and we need to kind of talk through things and tease things out, out a bit but there's so much information um, that I've gained through my education and my experiences that I love just to share it with um, whoever came through the door of the shop because I find that most people benefit greatly just from that free-flowing exchange of information. Yeah, definitely. When you're just sitting across from the person and engaging in real life and just seeing their reaction as well, you can definitely go off of that in terms of what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with, and you really tap into another person like that. And it just brings a whole new level to the healing of the self, especially when you don't know kind of where you're at and you're looking for help. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it makes me think about, um, so I had a shop here in Portland and then I opened a shop 
<clears throat> and you're dealing with two very different uh, mentalities to speak. And having the um, experience of Portland w was such a wonderful training for having experience on the East Coast and really the different views of living. And when you're just there with somebody who's really a ringer with their health and they really feel like they have absolutely nowhere to go and you just, just listen and offer them a little bit of, of um, suggestions um, where they're they're wanting to be met it really opens the door to remind people that there is hope yeah oh, hope is so important so um, important. and how did herbs first come into your life were they present in your childhood uh, or was it more of an intention-based development that happened later on and how did this tie in with your intuition so um my father had a flower farm growing up I grew up in the midwest and I was on the farm my parents were divorced my dad's a lot. He lived on the farm and my mom lived in the city. And it really cultivated this, this duality of intention and also intuition. Um, I would have the quick pace of the city and everything that kind of goes along with it. But then I would have these breaks where and really begin to integrate my processes of what was going on. And when you have time as a young person to listen um, and my dad was really good at, at helping me um, take pause in those moments, you start to develop this, this inner voice and this inner trust. And unfortunately, that's really lacking, I think, a lot um, growing up these days. Is that some kids are you know, directed this way. We have expectations of us, um, not just from our family, but from our societies as a whole. And so there's very little uh, room left to hear our own voices, um, perhaps maybe more than just the negative ones that come in that make us feel like we're doing everything wrong. So um, having that time out on the farm, I, I started to uh, talk to plants and really felt this reverence between myself and the plants and giving thanks to use herbs, you know, growing up um, in my family, but my dad was very conscious of his health and, and awareness of how to take care of ourselves on a daily basis. But I found myself really um, bonding to trees and bonding to flowers and giving thanks when I would harp or cut them down, um, the flowers to take them to the market. And that just kind of created this natural intuitive awareness for me. And then, of course, you know, life goes on and we have everything that, that happens. We get very, very busy and um, have dreams and life is kind of away for that for a while. But then I experienced my own health issues in my 20s. Um, I was on the birth control for many years. I went on it when I was 16 and decided to go off of it because something just it didn't feel right for me any longer. And I kept going to doctors and, and other people in the Western medical realm, and everyone just kept saying, you're fine, you're, don't worry about it. But there was something inside of me that did not agree. Like I was not in my natural rhythm, and it was really starting to um, be upsetting after, after years of being told this. So I finally found my way to a reproductive, did an ultrasound, and I was diagnosed with PCOS. And his treatment for me was to not worry about it. And when I would have children to come back to him and they would give me every kind of drug um, to help stimulate, and it would be fine. Wow. And that was really an eye-opening moment for me. And I, I went home and I just started seeking out every other option. And that's when herbs 
came um, really to the forefront. And I started taking one little herb, and it was the Vitex berry or the Chase tree berry. And with the assistance of acupuncture, which I started a few months um, into the, the spring, my period returned. And I have to tell you, the first thing I did was I went picking willow tree and I shared the news and it was, it was just such a joyous moment. So plants have always had that connection with me. Um, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to cultivate uh, a, a, a level of intuition when we really return to it and practice it, it really can benefit you in magnificent ways. And I also love how resourceful you are in that referencing your book, The Woman's Herbal Apothecary, um, there's this one story where you touched on, um, and it was this mother, and seeing her children snacking on some celery sticks, you found this little cornerstone in her own life by which you introduced her to an herbal practice in the form of celery seed tincture to help her balance the stress and anxiety uh-huh. she always felt in regards to her family's well-being. Yes. And I do feel that really comes with the knowledge that you carry, but also you're an extremely versatile businesswoman. And I was wondering what that's like in having one foot in a very holistic and wholesome world, but the other being in that it is a business that you're running. Yeah, it's a, that's a really interesting question. Yeah, you know, to run any business, the goal is yourself um, financially um, as part of the equation, you know, hopefully it's also to bring good to your community and, and uh, fulfillment within your soul. You know, doing it does need to create that financial stability. And when you bring your passion into your business and you are actively running, running your own business, everything works. Um, That being said, there's something that you're working extremely hard to accomplish and it's not working, take notice because it's it's time to shift away, um, let it go, turn back to it because there's something that's causing um, the lack of flow. And if you don't have the flow, it's not worth pursuing. There's there's some reason whether you ever find out what that reason is or not. Just take heed of that. Sometimes people break their backs trying to make something happen, and it, it just it doesn't manifest. Um, and there's there are reasons for that. But you know, as a business owner who started in the year two thousand and five, a very successful brick and mortar retail business. It was in Portland, still is to some degree, very community oriented. So you have a business that wants to help people full of like-minded people. That's a key to success. Um, but the other thing to, to think in mind, at my time of starting the business, e-commerce and online sales hadn't even scratched. Social media was non-existent. So things were very different when I started my business brick and mortar location. But again, all of that aside, as long as you are taking and infusing it into what you want to do, there's six, there's almost guaranteed success in that. Um, as long as you're the one doing the work and doing, it's hard work thing to do. So there's many times I much rather would have been in my shop formulating a new tincture blend or a delicious tea to drink by the fire. And I was having to do my quick books. I mean, that's just the, the necessities of running a business. But again, all of those other, necessarily your passion, somewhat fuse into your passion because you're, you're um, creating something that is um, all one. And I know that there are also certain safety precautions 
you need to take in maintaining a legal herbal business, such as the terminology you're uh-huh. using, um, what the products claim to actually do, and the overall practice of herbalism in the United States. It isn't. It doesn't have any regulated, codified standards. And I'd like to go a little more in depth in regards to the ins and outs of clinical licensing, regulation, um, and ethical practices, and how you balanced all of this. That's a lot. And, you know, um, it's a um, question to be asked. So I used to teach a class. Um, I used to teach Rosemary Gladstar's correspondence course, but we would hold classes and, and teach them in a group setting of, of um, herbal medicine. And one of the questions I would get all at the beginning of the class is, well, does this mean I'm a certified herbalist? And does, but there's no regulating body that verifies that. So you do get a certificate, and what that means is you've completed a, a number set of hours. Usually it's three set of hours in one particular um, set of study, in this case herbalisms, and therefore you're a certified herbalist. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't carry a lot of weight, particularly in the legal system. So um, there are two wonderful um, resources out there. One of them is... Margie Flint's of Herbal Medicine, and she goes in great length of how to own and operate an herbal clinic. I highly suggest that everybody read that book if that's something that you're interested in. And there's also a book by Carrie Bone and Simon Mills called the, of, um, oh geez, I've just lost it, The Practice of, I think it's The Practice and Something of Phytotherapy. And it also talks about, you know, the, the regulatory um, pieces that are very important. In my business, which was a retail business, yes, I'm a naturopathic um, and have a license to speak and talk about herbal medicine. But if you are focusing just on the herbal medicine, which you can do, and if that's your passion, I highly recommend, um, then you just need to be very um you can and can't say within the safety of a practice. You can't diagnose anyone um, without a medical license, and that can be very frustrating. Um, someone could walk shops, and they could have a rash that's very clearly ringworm, which is a fungal rash that, that is um, uh, on the skin. It's, it's round. It's so easily say, oh, you have ringworm. But unfortunately, our society and um, legal standards don't allow us to say that. So what I often would train my staff is pull out the dermatology book, you open to the ringworm page, you look at it and you say, well, this looks, and they'll say, oh my gosh, that is that. And then together, the two of you have made the diagnosis to be really careful about is claims. And that's a very frustrating piece, or at least for me. I know what the plants can do. I know how they work in the know that they are synergetic in nature. So most of our Western pharmaceuticals, even the ones taken from plants, they're isolating one little piece from the plant and then they're meant to do this one action. But that's not how plants work. When you take a plant, sometimes the plant itself will have moisturizing and drying effects just depending on the nature of what it's working with. And so you really have to use herbs and in order to get the, bi- the, the true dynamic um, nature of the medicine. And so we know after using it or just trying on ourselves, if you take um, a myrrh tincture, let's say you take some myrrh 
and you t- put some on your tongue, the instant you take that, it's like it's like a sour grape and you're all the moisture out. You'll get this very, very dry uh, sensation. And you know extremely drying. It's great for drying up mucous membranes um, when they're excessive, um, helping with excessive uh, secretions in the body. But you cannot say that because it is not proven by the FDA. And so therefore, unfortunately, you cannot make that claim. So it gets tricky in your language and you really become a wordsmith uh, when you're an herbalist or an herbal practitioner and working with your clients in a safe way. Um, While we want to believe that every client that we see has our best intentions at heart, people do have past traumas or past um, uh, uh, issues that tend to cause blame. So as a practitioner of herbal medicine, you need to be very careful until things are more regulated in a safe nature for your own protection. And in terms of supply chain as well, I really want to know how you've gone about sourcing produce and making sure that it is quality produce. Yeah, very important. So unfortunately, I, I, have, I have made the decision that I no longer wildcraft, nor do I recommend wildcrafting. Um, wildcrafting is when you go out into nature, the herbs you're looking for, and you um, ask to take what is needed, and you harvest it and bring it home. The problem is, is there's been an over amount of wild harvest throughout our country, and so it's no longer sustainable, in my opinion. Uh, that you can't grow your own plants and harvest them from your from your own property. That's that's great. I highly recommend that. But so what I've had to do is go out and find growers, and that's a lot of work because you want to ensure your medicine are doing so in a practice that truly creates health and vibrancy for the product. Um, if you're working with an herb supplier and you really want to ensure that everything as pure and um, vibrant as it should be, and that it's gone through um, contamination testing and so on and so forth, then you're going to want to ask for a certificate of analysis. I get one of those on every single pound of or multiple pounds of herbs, and that gives basically all of the testing that's been completed. And also, it's it still has um, all of the constituents in it after it's been harvested and processed, because that's another... Um, place where potency as well is from the harvesting to the processing. Not, not, not everyone understands that it's uh, not as easy as just drying plants out, you know, in the sunshade. They're really, really, like with hops, they need to be dried at a very specific humidity and a very specific temperature to maintain their bioconstituents. So doing your research and, you know, do microtesting, they do... Um, provide certificate of analysis where you're going to find your quality medicine. I know it's a lot. That's a lengthy process. <laughs> you know, also when I started my business, FDA, FDA hadn't come out with the CRP 21 and no regulation of herbal products oh. or oral herbal products and six. And that was a real game changer. Um, and so if you're wanting to know federal regulation of oral herbal products, that would be the document to read. God, I can only imagine that, it must be really, really nerve-wracking kind of going into the sourcing of the produce because they're going to reflect on your craft and your brand at the end of the day. You know, just like any scientist who learns all the different 
whatever it is they're studying. It's the same. It's the same with herbal medicine. And, you know, you have to take as uh, exciting, you know, and becoming, becoming the expert, so to speak. And there's a lot of value in that because you do provide yourself a sense of because you have taken all of those stepping stones that you feel secure in your knowledge and you feel secure in your processes. I definitely feel like it's almost this bridging of the old world and more traditional techniques and trying it's it's trying to find its place within all of these modern constructs and I love how even though there are so many regulations and limits and obstacles that have been put in place it is finding its way into the lives and rituals of people everywhere and it's still here and it's still going strong you know one of my favorite favorite things is uh when I've had students in the past or I've had interns, they'll start studying um, the herbs or they'll, they'll take home, you know, we had an herbal meditation as part of our internship program. And so basically what the, every week you choose one herb off the wall and you make a cup of tea and you drink it and you kind of free write about how you feel when you drink it. And that could that could physical symptoms to emotional feelings, but you just write and write. And you do that, you know, three or four times, you're kind of really getting to know what that herb tastes like and feels like. And then you read about it in the books. And a lot of times you'll find this correlation of intuition that occurred. If you just take that moment before you read about it and really spend time with it, you'll find it. I have noticed, and what so much feedback is, is that when people start studying the medicine everyone most people get very enlightened and they're like it's like it just clicks everything makes sense and so you're right it resurging and not just because it's popular but because it's really you know it's in our souls it's whatever you care to say but it's inside of us and it's that old knowledge that is just innate and ready to to be explored again and i feel like as we are moving forward into the space of potions and powders and the the utter trendiness of brewing up adaptogenic coffees the wellness industry is branching out in terms of what is popular to the masses and it's not so niche anymore and i'd love to touch on liquid herbal extracts known as a tincture and if you use these within your own routine which ones you gravitate towards my children started taking tinctures when they were six months old so wow they're They're very much alive and uh, used almost daily in our family. Yeah, my kids, my kids will ask for them, um, and that is such a. Um, it makes me feel so good because I'm cultivating that at a at a very young. And you know, to be honest, if you can learn how to make tinctures at home, which you can, um, you're really doing yourself a huge service because if. You know, um, I'm a I'm a big fan that if you know ten herbs and know they're all the medicine that you need. So here at our house, depending, um, we off uh, use tinctures for different things. And for example, right now Portland an onslaught of colds. Um, the colds seem to be getting worse and worse. I think, as a side note, I really enjoy watching because I can pretty much tell you by no. November, what kind of year it's going to be. It's either going to be a stomach bug year or a cold uh, with a cough or a heavy sinus cold. It's really interesting. But um, what's going on is is a um, uh, intense mucus and dry cough cold that is 
transmitting very rapidly. And the thing that I always try to make sure that people know is you'll have your go-to. You might have echinacea if you're just starting to feel something come on and you want to boost up those white blood cells so that you don't catch anything. But when you actively have a cold, very rarely use the same tincture every single time because it's not going to meet the needs of whatever symptoms you're dealing with. It might be bacterial and it might be viral. So you might have bacterial herbs in your tincture or antiviral herbs in your tincture, but you need to have very curated herbs with those in order to battle the symptoms to move it out of the body. So for example, with this heavy mucus penetration, we're adding a lot of rosemary because rosemary is very drying and it helps to liquefy up and out. But rosemary also is really good for the upper respiratory system. And then we're also adding elecampane because when this cold goes long, which it seems to be doing, it's going on an average of um, eight or nine days. When you have a cold in the upper respiratory system that goes down into the lungs, and usually why it's lasting that long is because it's gone down to the lower recesses, and elecampane is excellent to help get down there and help get out. So it's really important that, um, and you don't need to know all this. You can look, there's so many books out there, so don't feel like you have to be an expert at herbs to know what herbs to use. Just know your symptoms. If you are having um, a really you know packed sinus up in here, you know, using um, Wild Baptista or um, even Garb be your go-tos. So it's really about identifying what your symptoms are and then adding the base herbal selection um, and, then, and then taking that. But I really encourage people to learn how to make tinctures, save a ton of money. You'll make a huge supply for the whole winter long if you need it. You can give it out as gifts. Um, or you can just make a tiny little bit um, as needed, which is really cost effective. And anyone can make plant, anyone can make tinctures, or you can order it online. Um, get a little bit of herb, taking a jar, you know, I have a video, and you know, filling it up one fifth of the way with your dried herb, and then filling the rest of the jar up with vodka, and then closing it shaking it every day for three weeks, strain it after that, and that's it. You have a tincture. That's all it is. That's what's been used for centuries. Um, while FDA does require the many, many, many steps to get the same results um, to sell it, that works just as well. So I really recommend it. Because that is something that um, I have struggled with so much is the products that the wellness industry has to offer and Obviously, it's, it's so easy to get sidetracked by the branding and the shininess of all the products. But um, yes. I, I always try to look at what's doable and can just be DIY'd at home. Um, but obviously, uh -huh. you want to make sure that the outcome isn't sketchy or sloppy. And there is a tincture by way of a masturbation, but then there's also percolation. And I really want to know what your thoughts on that are. Well, I... I'm a percolation lady. I love percolation. So um, I love I love both. I love the simpleness of the folk tradition um, because it is, you know, returning to the, the wise tradition, just going out, for example, and pulling up yellow duck out of the ground and sticking it in a jar, active component of shaking it every day and looking at it and talking to it. But percolation, you know, my um, undergrad was, uh, I had a biochemistry major and... Um, 
I love the science behind percolations. And if anyone has suffered through um, organic chemistry, you'll know, or biochemistry, you'll know what a titration is. And a titration is usually is just using a liquid to pull out certain concentrations from a solid to a new liquid state. It's basically what a percolation is. It's a uh, it's a three day process, so a lot quicker, which is lovely. I find the flavor and the color are much more potent. But again, hands down, you put 20 herbalists in a room and you ask one question, you'll get 20. So keep that in mind. Um, but a percolation is u- utilizing um, a percolation vessel, which has a narrow um, bottom. What we tend to use are Perrier bottles. We cut off the bottoms and we turn them upside down so you have the neck. You put a filter down there. You moisten the herb um, for four hours, then you pack the vessel and you pour the menstruum, which is the solvent or the liquid, through it just till it starts to titrate at the bottom. That means drip at the bottom. You close it for another 12 to 24 hours and then you open the vessel and let it drip about one per second. Sucks all the bioconstituents out of the solid and puts it into the liquid. And for the longest time, that's how we made all of our formulas was through, through the per- method. And do your daughters also have a hand in it when you're making oh, it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to cut the filters for me. <laughs> yeah, no, they're very active, very involved. Oh, and in touching on motherhood, how has your herbal practice been a part of your daughter's upbringing? She's been aware, you know, I was a single mom with, um, with my first, I have one and um, Cordelia and I were on our own for three years of her life. So, you know, I had been in business for five years. Um, I was brand and the product line around her birth. So when when she was awake, there would be percolations set up everywhere, ending constantly. She would be looking at the herbs. I mean, they, they were really a part of her life from the time she was, uh, time she arrived. She knows what a tea is. She knows how to make salves, um, oils. She knows how to harvest plants. You know, um, her first, her first plant ally was the, was the raspberry. Oh, growing out front. And she was trying to walk through a little narrow, kind of stumble through a narrow area. And of course the raspberry kind of grabbed onto her. She, she just looked at me and she said, can I eat this one? And I said, yes. So she picked a leaf and ate it. She's like, oh, it's like it gave me a hug. And I was like, well, that's how we find our allies. Um, I feel very um, happy that she's grown up in the herbal ways and the tradition. Yeah. I need to get on her level. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yep. And for those who are looking to introduce an herbal practice within a family environment but may not have that foundational knowledge, what are some simple, fun, but also safe ways, first of all, to get the kids involved? Lip balm is the best way. Lip balm or salve. Ooh. You know, really, salve is just an herbal oil um, melted with beeswax and then pouring it into little containers. Um, and you can add essential oil, you know, like lavender for every young child is a, a wonderful scent to have on hand. It keeps them calm and they tend to all, you know, what I've noticed with children, they love ritual. They love it. So if you make anything ritualistic or special, they will gravitate 
I have found. So, you know, get some herbal oil, <clears throat> make it yourself, or you can just, you know, start off with just olive oil and melt it with beeswax oil, you know, if you'd like. We um, put mica on the top of our, mica is a, um, a mineral and it, sh- it shimmers like glitter. We put um, our um, boo-boo salve and that's just for her, just for the kids like fairy dust and so she knows that it's you know treated with the extra magic of the fairies to help her her scratches and wounds heal i love that yeah i mean if you can make anything magical for kids yeah even better yeah (laughs) and and for the the men out there whether they themselves are seeking out their own practice or the ladies who are trying to include their husbands are there any methods or recipes you would recommend yeah, I mean, it's the same, I think, and, you know, just as much as women or if women are trying to encourage their husband, you know, if whether it's a, you know, a skin condition or a cold or an allergy or not sleeping, you know, if you, if you choose wisely tea and it makes a difference, they'll be hooked because everybody likes to feel better <laughs> no yeah. matter what's going on. And it's sometimes it's just a, a practice of, and giving it to them and having them try it. And then other times, Bloomberg, Blumenthal, who's a co-director of uh, American Botanical Council, you know, he just started walking in the woods and got really curious. So if you're out for a hike and you're like, that's nettle over there, we could cut some down and make it for dinner because you can boil it and it tastes like cabbage. You know, just meeting them wherever they're at. And that goes with anybody, whether it's a child or a woman or a man or, or any any person you know find something find some way to meet them where they're at not everyone's going to want to own every single herb book and take every single herb class like <laughs> but you know if you find that one thing that kind of hooks them that's it that's all it takes yeah I was thinking about it my father's no longer with us but I was just imagining, I was like, how on earth would I ever get, he's very like into his beer, hardcore rugby, and I was like, there's no way that, there's any way I would have like managed to implement herbs into his routine, but he was always so obsessed (laughs) with cooking. When you touched on that there with the nettle, I was like, okay, that's a way that like you can get your guys involved. So, I mean, pain is another good one. If you can alleviate pain, that's... intuition and gut there's no quick hack in bettering the connection we have with that we're all so diverse and and in radically different places in our journey but if there's one recipe or concoction that you feel would be a good foundation in grounding oneself and really opening up that instinctual dialogue a little more what would that be Uh I don't think there's one concoction what I think it is is really that um, experience and meditation. I touched on it with our internship. Like, go to an herb shop or or order something online. Um, you know, something that's you read about once or somebody spoke of. And maybe it was burdock or nettle, like I mentioned, or um, yellow dock or rosemary leaf. You know, just something once or that you read about once and you're curious. And just go get a little bit and make a cup of tea. And sit with that cup of tea and and smell it before you drink it and think about what does it smell like and write it down. 
and then drink it? What does it taste? And then when you're thinking about what it feels like in your body, again, that can be physical symptoms. It can be a hot cup of tea, but it can be really cooling, like peppermint. Cup of peppermint tea, it's very cooling in the body. So you write that down. Is it sour? Is it sweet? You write all of these things down, and then you think about how, you know, like when I drink a cup of oat straw tea, I'm immediately transcended over to the Midwest and the fields and the hay and just smelling that, and I have those visual memories. Do that, you know, four or five times, and just keep writing, you know, free write, anything that happens. And then what you'll start to realize is that the communicating with you what it does. It, it, will, it will start to awaken your own DNA recognition of herbs and plants and what they remember. And then, you, like I said, after you, you can go pull out your herb book and you can read all about oat straw and you will find overlap. You'll, you'll recognize that you already knew what it did or how to use it. And you keep doing that over time. And it's a meditation's a practice, exercises a practice, healthy eating's a practice. All of these, it, it grows. So that's what I would recommend. I realize now that I just approached this question very much in the form of, oh, I need an umbrella kind of formula. And it's the snappy, <laughs> efficient lifestyle. And here it's like, no, change that mindset over to slowly building it up. If you could give an example of a time in your life when it was guts versus logic and you went with your gut and how this played out. Oh, sure. Um, that's easy. Uh, it's kind of a lot, I'll tell you. Um, I'd been dreaming about opening a shop in New York. <clears throat> I wanted to pick up what I had created in Portland and I wanted to drop it in Brooklyn, New York. And I wanted to see if it would work. I really felt this strong intuition that it would. And uh, lots of magical things happened. Uh, on this day, um, I remember looking at looking at myself in the mirror on April nineteenth and eleven, and I said, "Are we going to do this or not?" Dreaming and thinking, and you know, getting distracted, and I just said, "Are we going to do this or not?" And yeah, we're going to do this. And so I said, "Okay, I'm going to do this." Um, I set up a trip to uh, New York, and again took my daughter. And you know, I really did not know Brooklyn at all. I had friends there, and I knew that uh, New York needed it. That was a strong, intuitive feel. So I went around with this broker, and nothing, nothing felt right. And we drove down this one street, and it was called Smith Street in Borough Hill. And I was like, this is the vibe I'm really looking for. They, she, they couldn't find anything available. <clears throat> so on the second to last day that I was there, I left my friend at a coffee shop, and I had just in the little ergo carrier and I was like I'm just gonna take a walk I just I I just need to walk around this neighborhood a little bit she's like okay so I walked and I was walking and walking and then I a little sign in a window that said space for lease and I was like like huh, what's that and I walked over and it was this beautiful little 560 square foot retail spot and um, I called the number. The woman met me the next day. And it was less rent than I was paying in Portland. So cool. fast forward two more months. Um, I was in the shop in uh, August. 
there was an office. My daughter and I lived in the back. I set up the, you know, throughout the days and then at nights while she was sleeping. And I was open by September 15th of that year. And it was really just because I, I believed, I truly believed and I did it. And it was just one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had. And that's just, that's just true gut right there. And your daughter as well. (laughs) I really can't live any other way. It it just really. There shouldn't be any other way to live. Like we need to get to that point. Yeah. You know, I have found that when I try to live the logical way, I get myself in trouble. I really do. In closing, it'd be fun, if you're dumb, uh, to do a quick rapid round of questions in regards to your own go-to herbs. Okay. Okay. To help with brain fog. Oh, rosemary. Yeah. Okay. Um, When dealing with stress. Ashwagandha. To alleviate headaches or soothe migraines. Butterbur. For the lymphatic system and blood flow. Uh, Well, those are two. Cleavers for lymphatics, for sure. Blood flow. Blood flow. Oof, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'm gonna say hawthorn. Okay. Berry. No, sorry, leaf. Hawthorn leaf. Hawthorn leaf. I've read an interesting article, and it was touching on warming oneself from the inside out, and not necessarily uh-huh. always, you know, packing on like the layers of clothing or drinking warm soup, but you can really rely on herbs and spices for that as well. So I'd be interested in knowing if you have any that you kind of rely on for that sometimes too and ginger but honestly ending your shower in a cold shower is the best way to do that yeah yeah <laughs> um to cool oneself down from what like are they did they just get they just have an emotional breakup are they stressed out about taking a test um stressed out about taking a test i say skull cap okay for joint support uh that's a tough one but i'm gonna say yucca or devil's claw okay and anti-inflammatory. Same. Same. That's, yeah, yucca, devil's claw. The last one is, personally, I'm trying to look more into efficient and small ways in which I can integrate macro and trace minerals, such as iron and calcium, because of the depletion of our soils, and also just foregoing supplementation where possible. And I found that Nettle and dill seed, they're really beneficial in this. But if you have any that you kind of gravitate towards on a nutritional level. Yeah, I'd say nettle, dill, chickweed, comfrey, um, alfalfa. Those are are some solid choices. Some glory signing off. XOX, JJ Purcell. This was Nature is an Alternative with Dr. JJ Purcell. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.